Father God, thank you that we can be here, that we can just contemplate this marvelous passage of Scripture that you have provided for us. Lord, thank you that you are the God who redeems, that you are the God who has acted decisively in history for us. Lord, thank you that that no enemy can stand against us because you are with us. Though we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your presence and your staff, they comfort us. Thank you that you are good to your own. Thank you that you have a purpose to bring us to yourself and one day we will see you and we will be face to face with the living God and we praise you for that. Holy Spirit, as we, as we contemplate this marvelous song of celebration, of salvation, of joy, of anticipation, I pray that you would just provoke in us a sense of excitement at, at what you have done, what you are doing, what you are going to do. Holy Spirit, speak to us and speak through me, I dare to ask. Amen. You know, the one problem with a circle is that you sit so far away from me. How's that? Fantastic song, isn't it? Um, We sing every Sunday, but this is the first song recorded in the Bible. I think, as far as I can make out, Exodus chapter 15, this is the first song that we've got written down. And, and isn't it fantastic that when God has done something amazing, what do God's people do? They just burst into song. And I love the end bit because there is old Moses, la, da, da, and all Israel. And then Moses stops singing and, and Miriam comes along and, and she starts singing, but she's not just singing, she's got the tambourine. Yeah! Miriam must have been the life of the party. Because she's so, she's just, I can't sing standing still, I have to dance. And what a marvelous time to dance and to sing to God because, because of what he's done. Remember, this is exactly after they've crossed the Red Sea. You would have heard it because they tell you the story, how the Egyptians were chasing after them. God opened the Red Sea for them to cross over. They crossed over. The Egyptians said, we will get them now. Come crashing the waves, Egyptians dead, and they sing the song of salvation. The song says, verse 1, to the Lord, to Yahweh, the one who has triumphed greatly, who has hurled the horse and the rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. Go back this afternoon and read as they stood on the Egyptian side of the sea with the Egyptians coming towards them. Moses, have you brought us out here that we should die at the hand of Pharaoh? We are powerless. We can't do anything. God opens the waters. Oh yes, the Lord is my strength and the Lord is my song. Every act of mercy that we receive from God Every time that God shows us some graciousness and provides for us, isn't it that the opportunity for us to say, Oh Lord, it is your strength that has seen me through. I speak to my own 
detriment when I say, and I think I speak for all of us, that it's all too easy to, when God has saved us and done marvelous things for us, to say, oh well, how marvelous, the Lord is my strength and my song. My joy that just has to burst out in praise. It is God, says Moses and the whole people, who is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Our God is a warrior. You know, so often in the church today, we've got this, we've got this domesticated version of God. You know, God's nice. God's, God's nice. God really is. Oh, he's just nice. And, and it's okay. He's, he's, like, he's like your favorite grandfather. And you might, oh, don't do that. But I'm nice. I'll pat you on the head. I had somebody say to me about a month back, the Jesus I've heard of, he's, he's not a warrior kind of person. But what do we see here? Moses looks at what God has done and God has just destroyed the Egyptian enemy and he says, our God is a warrior God. Isn't he a God of love? Isn't he the God of compassion and mercy and graciousness? Absolutely. And because he is the God of love, our God is a warrior God. I mean, how much would God love us if he saw us being attacked, if he saw the Israelites being attacked and about to be subdued, and he just went, meh. God's love is so great that when his people face conflict and hardship and persecution and death, what does God do here in the Israelites at the Red Sea? He says, I myself will save you by my own right hand, by the blowing of my nostrils. I will save you because I am strong to save those that I love. I am a warrior for those who are for me. I am a warrior against those who are against my people. And I will establish my people as my own and I will bring them to my dwelling place. And the Israelites are just singing like, Whoa, God's bringing us to his dwelling place. I'd love to have the tune. There are things in this world that stand in defiance of God and God's people and God's church. And yet we do not need to fear because our God is the warrior who stands against them. Who has easily overcome in the past and will easily overcome and on the cross has easily overcome all foes. And he will bring us to his sanctuary, verse 17. Looking ahead, when we ourselves will be the very stones of that sanctuary. What does verse 7 say? In, your great, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury, it consumes them like straw. You 
You know the most amazing thing about God and his love for his people, then and now, is that when God's people are being attacked, it's as if God is being attacked. And Jesus himself, Matthew 25, verse 34 to about 40-ish, that parable of the judgment day, and he says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. We did this in Super Club last week. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they turned and said, Lord, when did we do this? And the king says to them, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. When we do good for Christians, it's as if we're doing it to God. And if we dare to stand against God's people, it's as if we stand against God. And our God is not one that you want to stand against. Because his love for us is very great. So they praised God. They praised God for what he had done. They stood on the shore. They looked at it and they said, God, you are amazing. Verses 9 to 12, they go on and they go, God, you're amazing because of who you are. You're the one who is highly exalted. You're the God that my dad praised and that my mum praised. Big pot? Done it. Doing it. Yeah. You're the God that my parents praised. You're a warrior fighting for the good of your people. You are the one who has a powerful right hand. You are great in majesty. And the enemy comes, verse 9, and they boast, I will attack, I will destroy, my sword will flash. And they're just so full of their own arrogance and pride. And what does God do? I love this. What does God do? Here is the might of the strongest nation of the time going against God. And God, what is, he's got to react somehow. You blew your breath. You blew your breath. Verse 10, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. God, you're so great. The enemy is, they're just against you. And all you do is go, and you've won. And we see, verse 11, that you are truly God. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. That's a verse to memorize. Because as the people reflect on who God is and what God has done, they realize that God is the God who not only protects his people, but is able to protect them no matter what. They experienced God's power, and all of a sudden they realize who God is. That there are no gods to compare with God. That there are no powers to compare with his power. That he is completely holy. So the song starts with, thank you God for what you've done and you're so marvelous. And then it goes on, verses 13 to 16. I'm sure their tune was much better. 
God, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for who you are. Thank you what you are doing now. Verse 13. With your unfailing love, you lead your people. The people you have redeemed in your might, you guide them to your sacred home. With your unfailing love, your said love. This, this, this love where God says, I have decided I'm going to be the one who loves you completely and 100%. This love where God says, I will take you to myself and your burdens will be my burdens. And I will be your God and you will be my people because of my great love for you. What does the New Testament say? This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. And with God's unfailing love, says verse 13, He leads His people whom He has redeemed. Redeemed here from Egypt. Redeemed to go to take them to the promised land. But no, that's not the whole story. The people He has redeemed, ultimately pointing to Jesus, that we have been saved, that we have been taken in by God's love and made His own children, His, His precious ones. And God turns around and says, why have I done this? Because I love you and because I am taking you home. That is just, in your might you guide them to your sacred home. And they could be sure of God's guidance because they knew who God is. John Newton's got a relatively unknown hymn. Maybe some of you know it. It's called Begone Unbelief. And the third verse begins, His love in times past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. And this is what the Israelites have realized here. God's love in what he has done forbids me to think that God will ever let me sink into troubles in the future. He will take me home. And He will do it no matter what. And we've got this list of of nations that they're going to go past. And and they're still standing at the sea. They haven't even reached Sinai. And and here they sing, well, these people, and they go from from northwards as they go from south to north. They just list the people, the Philistines, the Edomites, the, uh, who is it, The, the Ammonites, the Canaanites. The Moabites. As they walk past, they will just be gripped by fear. And you would have read in our readings of, of Joshua and Rahab the spy who said to them, I will help you guys escape because I am terrified. And the whole nation is terrified. Why? Because we heard what God did at the Red Sea. And here is Moses and the people sing the song of what God's going to do. It actually turns out that way. They are terrified by the people. No, they're terrified by the God of the people. Because if Egypt couldn't stand against God, how could any of these nations? And just as Egypt sank like a stone, so these nations will be lifeless as a stone when God passes his people by. I love this. Who could stop God bringing his people to the land where he was taking them? No one. And we all know that brilliant Romans 8. Who can separate us from the love of God? Life, death, sword, sickness, powers above. 
I'm convinced that nothing in all of creation or anywhere can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus returns, those of us who love Him will join Him in the air and the people down here will just be seized by fear. And do you notice all the words that you use there? Um, verses 14 onwards, they hear and tremble. Their anguish grips them. They're terrified. They tremble. They melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them. The power of God's hand keeps them still. And God's people pass by and are kept safe by God. Isn't that amazing? I don't think this is promising that life's going to be cushy and there will be no suffering. In fact, we know that it if we are true to our master, we will, we will suffer as he suffered. But, but ultimately, we are safe and God's promises are sure because of what God has done. Because of who God is. And they say, we will celebrate you, God, because of what you have done, because of who you are, because of what you are doing, what you're about to do. We will celebrate you, verse 17 and 18, because you will bring your people in and plant them on the, your own mountain, the place you reserve for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. God's purpose is to bring us to himself forever and ever and to reign over us as king. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Did you know that this song is repeated in the Bible? Turn with me. It's in chapter 15 of Revelation. Revelation 15. I saw in heaven another marvelous event, great significance, seven angels. And I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were holding harps that God had given them and they were singing the song of Moses. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous deeds have been revealed. Verse 2 of the Song of Moses. Isn't that amazing? Right at the start where God redeems his people and says, I'm taking you home. And here we see them. Oh Lord, you have done it and you are about to do it. And we'll know the tune. Isn't that amazing? And our voices will be marvelous. You know, the experience of the Red Sea stands for the Israelites in the same place as the resurrection stands for us. The Israelites saw the Egyptians dead and they knew for certain that they were saved. And that their new life was about to start. We look back and see Jesus dead and made alive. And we know for certain that our new life has started. And that our eternity with the Lord 
has been made certain and solid and sure. And we know this because of what God has done, because of what God is doing right now, because of what God is about to do in our midst, and because of what God is going to do ultimately when Jesus returns. We know that this is true. <coughs> and we will be with Him forever. And He shall reign. You know what, I, I love the way that we come to the end of the song and then the person is writing this down sort of, oh yeah, because God, just the, the Egyptians, the sea, water, dead. You see what's happened? We've gone from what God has done through to what God, who God is, through to what God is doing, through to what God will do, which brings us back to what God has done. And what happens then? We start singing again. What a marvelous circle to be trapped in, to constantly be looking back at what God has done, and to constantly, and they don't just start singing again, they bring out the tambourines and they start dancing. I pray that, that, that the story of what God has done for us, all the way through history, and especially when Jesus on the cross and the resurrection, that it leads us to just want to celebrate God and thank Him for what He is, has, is, and will do and that in turn, as we celebrate Him, we'll start remembering what God has, is, and will do. And then we'll celebrate Him some more. And we'll just be caught up in just, God, You are amazing! Wouldn't that be marvelous? How, how is it that we don't sing every single minute of the day? There is so much joy in this passage. Because God is so good. And my brothers and sisters, what the Israelites experienced is nothing compared to what we have experienced. Because as we see in Revelations, the song has taken on such grander proportions. Such grander proportions. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. And so we just want to praise you. Amen.